Welcome back to Prognosis Ohio, which I'm just going to assume is Ohio's number one health and healthcare podcast. I'm Dan Skinner, your host. Sorry for the delay in getting this one out, but one of the various bugs going around central Ohio waylaid me for a few days. You may be able to hear that in my voice. We've got a great interview today on an important subject. Michelle Grimm is a Toledo councilwoman who led an effort to retire Toledans' medical debt by partnering with Lucas County Commissioners and a nonprofit. There are now rumblings of interest in doing the same in Columbus, which would be huge. Now, as a representative-elect on her way to Columbus, Grimm hopes to get some conversation going about how we can do this on the state level. RIP Medical Debt, the nonprofit with which Toledo is working, projects that there's about $131 million of debt weighing Ohioans down. Can you think of a simpler way to get Ohioans some relief? Before turning to the interview, though, it's time for Things You Need to Know, brought to you in collaboration with the Center for Community Solutions. The New York Times recently published an article examining the state of aging and living alone as both boomers and Gen Xers find their way into retirement. There are 26 million Americans over the age of 50 living alone, up from 15 million in 2000. One of the biggest challenges, literally, is the size of homes. Downsizing can be difficult when everything on offer is supersized. In 1982, for example, 40% of homes were around 1,400 square feet. Today, that tidy footprint represents only 7% of new builds in the U.S. The pendulum has swung sideways on market-reflective housing and demographics. In the past 20 years, there's been a 32% increase in 1% households. Contrast that with the 62% increase in four-bedroom homes built in the same time period. There's growing research to better accommodate our aging communities, though. Ohio has 25 livable communities in the AARP Age-Friendly Network. More than 700 communities nationwide were rated on eight factors of livability, similar to social determinants of health, and awarded a score that can help identify gaps and improvements. All of these data are in our show notes, so don't worry about writing them down. Just go to prognosisohio.com to check them out. Swinging to the other end of the generational spectrum, did you know that by 2030, 30% of the U.S. workforce will be Gen Z? And by 2025, Gen Z will be 30% of the world population. The oldest of Gen Z are 25 now and just entering into the workforce, inching even closer to outnumbering millennials. In 2020, Gen Z officially became the most diverse generation in U.S. history. As the first humans born into the internet, they have a unique and often maligned perspective. Just think for a moment about some of the defining moments of these young people, 9-11 being the first among them, and then the pandemic right around high school or college, maybe even graduation. Nearly half of current Gen Z workers say they're stressed or anxious all or most of the time. Numbers across the generation reflect this. 42%, for example, of Gen Z, including those still in middle school, have been diagnosed with a mental health condition, anxiety being top among them. A whopping 57% take regular medication. Forbes calls Gen Z the future of work and points out that Gen Z has higher expectations for the workplace than ever before. They prioritize flexible working arrangements, shared values, higher pay, and increased support for mental health. And though you probably won't believe it, even with the popular stereotype of being endlessly tethered to screens, Gen Z actually prefers face-to-face -face meetings. The good news is 87% of Gen Z is comfortable talking about mental health with others, and nearly as many are willing to take Mental Health Day for self-care. Making neurodiversity a fourth pillar of DEI initiatives, alongside gender, racial, and sexual preference, to send a strong signal of empathy and commitment to the Gen Z workforce in your organization. 
And finally, to shift gears before we close, we want to give you an update on House Bill 142 in support of Medicaid-covered doula care, an issue we've covered on this show in past episodes, which heard Senate testimony last week. Supporters of the bill view doulas and midwives who have their own bill, HB 496, as essential caregivers for prenatal, birthing, and postnatal care. With no independent, non-religious birth centers in Ohio and no obstetric care in 13 Ohio counties, this support can't come soon enough. Doula-assisted births reduce by two times the chance of a birth complication and make it four times less likely that the baby will suffer a low birth weight. Besides more birthing support, inviting doulas and midwives back into the labor room makes huge financial sense. Offering coverage under Medicaid would benefit about 70,000 mothers and babies in Ohio. It would help reduce the cesarean rate and cost, which in Ohio is 40% higher than the national average. The 12 states that offer Medicaid-covered doula services have saved more than $58 million. Oh, and they also avoided more than 3,000 preterm births. Okay, that's it for this week's Things You Need to Know, brought to you in collaboration with the Center for Community Solutions. Councilwoman and Rep-elect Michelle Grimm, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So, and, and congrats on your your win, your electoral win. Um, we look forward to seeing you here in Columbus. So that's going to be a, a big change in your life patterns, I'm guessing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm excited to uh, come down to Columbus and uh, represent the citizens of Toledo and also the village of Ottawa Hills. Awesome. I don't think I've ever been to Ottawa Hills, but I think I need to get there because my Toledo geography is sorely lacking, unfortunately. (laughs) Before we turn to the actual medical debt plan itself that kind of brought me to reach out to you, um, which is just really interesting and, and really important, I wonder if you can just give listeners a snapshot of Toledo. I mean, if not the 43rd House District, but all, you know, also just the kind of general area and the role that medical debt plays in your constituents' lives, trying to get a little bit of a picture of kind of what kind of issues have been coming to you as a representative. So some of the issues as a city councilwoman currently, um, some of the issues I've, I've seen are um, rising rents, um, rising housing prices. You know, we like the rest of the country, we had a housing boom here, but wages are stagnant. Um, so we also have a high poverty rate that's higher than the national average. People are hurting because of that. And then people are also hurting because of the of inflation. Um, you know, the gas prices are still high. Groceries are higher. Um, so, you know, a lot of people are, are suffering here in Toledo. When I first learned about the medical debt relief uh, plan that Cook County did, I thought that it was a good way to aid in the economic recovery of Toledoans and then also Lucas County residents as well. So let's talk nuts and bolts about this plan. Uh, you know, and I'm curious. I mean, I've done my reading, but still, there's the big question here of just kind of how how this is going to work. And I think there's still some maybe unknowns in terms of how it's going to actually play out. Can you kind of walk us through uh, what what the 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 logic is of this approach, and also the partnership that uh, is kind of key to it? Yeah. So um, I introduced um, my ordinance several months ago to uh, allocate $1.4 million, um, which would uh, eliminate uh, between $180 and $200 million in medical debt. And how that would work is uh, we would partner with the nonprofit charity RIP Medical Debt. And what they do is they purchase medical debt pennies on the dollar and then just cancel that debt. They take advantage of the debt buyer's market to be able to do that 
And they're also able to do that because they're a disinterested third party. So when, after I introduced my uh, piece of legislation, Lucas County was interested in also uh, participating. So instead of the $1.4 million, I was able to lower my commitment to $800,000 and they were able to commit $800,000 for a total of $1.6 million to actually have a broader spectrum of coverage because now we mm-hmm. can cover the entire county with $1.6 million, which would eliminate up to $240 million. Just also in terms of a program like this, though, I mean, having the buy-in from a partner like the county commissioners would be really important, it would seem to me. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like I said, you know, my initial my initial ordinance was 1.4. Now we're pitching in 1.6 together. So 800 and 800 is, you know, $1.6 million. So we are able to, you know, just broaden that scale and cover a lot more people with a partnership with the city and the county. So, you know, I did my best to read through RIP Medical Debt's website, and we're going to be linking to that for for listeners to check out themselves. Um, and, and it seems like, I mean, do you need hospital buy-in or health system buy-in for this to actually happen? Are we kind of at a moment right now where there is a, a, a kind of offer on the table and then you can get more partners? Because it seems to me that there there's still a question of exactly how many Toledans this is actually going to impact and in what way particularly. Do I have that right? Uh, yes. Um, hospital buy-in is important because it is source-based. So a couple of the, you know, we've reached out to several of the hospitals here and a couple of them are currently um, talking to REP Medical Debt and details from that are uh, not public, but, um, you know, I, I feel confident that things will move forward and um, I think other hospitals will start coming on board, really see the benefit of this and see the benefit for the community. But also REP Medical Debt's able to go into the secondary market because, you know, some hospitals do sell medical debt to the secondary market. So they're able to do both. But, um, you know, I feel very optimistic that the hospitals here will participate and um, really see the benefit of participating in the program because it's, you know, again, it's a one to 100 return on investment. And, um, you know, I think it looks, I think it's better for hospitals to um, sell it off to a nonprofit charity rather than, than a third party debt buyer. Yeah, I was curious. I mean, you know, I study hospitals in my academic living. And, you know, we, we've also had Brian Alexander on this show to talk about his book, The Hospital, which is actually kind of in your region, right in Bryan, Ohio. Uh, and we talked a little bit about some of the, the health system consolidation and some of the politics of that. I mean, hospitals, like many entities, are are kind of, they, they keep their, uh, they're, they're a little closed-lipped about things, right? They like to keep their business internal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, we're used to that. But I, I'm curious, you know, why would a hospital want to do this? Uh, what, what would be, I mean, it's, I think if I'm hearing you correctly, you're kind of pointing to like the good feels that come from resolving this issue. And also maybe there's something in it for them of just kind of putting some of this to bed and being able to be a um, kind of good partner in this really hard thing. Is, is that kind of it? Or is, is there another reason why you're hoping these hospitals will look at this program and say, yeah, we want to get in on that? Um, you know, I, again, I think it's, so I think with the hospitals, I think, yeah, it's, it's good for the broader community. I mean, you know, a lot of our hospitals are community 
oriented. Um, they do a lot for the community. You know, one of the major hospitals puts on concerts, concert series. They sponsor, you know, um, races and things like that. So I think that, you know, this this is another good thing for Toledo and Lucas County residents. And, you know, again, I can't think of a better way to spend American Rescue Plan dollars. It's a one to 100 return on investment. And I think, you know, again, it's really it's going to help really help aid in the economic recovery of Toledo and Lucas County residents. Yeah, we've talked on this show about just how much of the ARPA money, the same money that you're kind of drawing from here, has gone unspent in our state, which is one of the stories that's kind of really counterintuitive and a bit strange to people who hear it at first because this, you know, we've gone through a time of extraordinary economic stress and people have been really suffering. So why, you know, why certain pockets in our state and also on the state level haven't been able to really use this money effectively is a question. And it seems like this is kind of low hanging fruit, like a way to use this money in a way that's going to directly impact people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, again, I can't think of, uh, another thing that, that has a one to 100 return on investment. Um, so in this, you know, it um, just has this broad economic impact. Um, we're seeing now that medical debt exacerbates uh, several social determinants of health, putting food on the table, um, paying rent, paying utilities. It also exacerbates uh, ev evictions. Um, so we're really um, with these American Rescue Plan dollars, which is, you know, to to rescue Americans, we're helping people put food on the table again. We're helping people go back to the doctor because they weren't able to because they have medical bills they can't pay. You know, this is this is something, you know, a lot of people have reached out and said, I had medical bills in the past. This would have been, you know, so helpful for me or I have currently have medical bills and this is, you know, something that's really going to impact like tens of thousands of, of people. On the one hand, this is an economic policy, but it's also, you know, as all economic policies are, they are health policies at the same time. They also have a lot of uh, you know, sort of equity components in terms of racial and ethnic disparity and things like that kind of built into it. Um, and I'm guessing gender as well. Mm -hmm. So I, when you think of this, you know, you've been somebody who's been out there advocating, you have a reputation for being a real advocate for uh, health equity and just championing uh, better health outcomes in, in your area. Is this a health policy? Do you expect this at some point to actually have effects on people's health? And in what ways do you draw those connections? I mean, we talk about social determinants a lot in this show. So, you know, the mental health benefits, for example, of being debt-free in a, one part of your life are huge. Mm -hmm. But how do you think about it? Like, how do you think this is going to impact your constituents' lives? You know, this is this kind of a, it's a stimulus, right? So it's, it's giving people this, this, this jump because they... We're worried about their medical bills. They can't pay their medical bills. So basically how it works with RAP medical debt is that once they purchase the debt from the hospital systems and physician groups and other healthcare um, uh, company, um, healthcare systems, people get a letter in the mail saying that their debt's been canceled. Um, so it's a very simple program. So once they get a letter in the mail saying their debt's been canceled, you're absolutely right. So the mental health aspect, like people are going to um, feel relief um, because you know, they had thousands of medical, you know, medical bills that they couldn't pay. 
now they're they're freed up to pay pay for their groceries, pay their utilities, go back again, go back to the doctor because they've you know been avoiding the, the the doctor because they can't pay their medical bills. The way this works is the way it works, but it's also pretty wild in a way. I mean, the idea that folks may not know if they're going to get a letter someday. You know, and it's kind of like, I mean, Christmas is coming, right? For example, like, do you have a, t- I mean, in your mind, like, it, it seems like there's some negotiations and some thinking that has to happen and, and all of that, um, you know, in, behind the scenes. But is there any kind of expected timeline based on, uh, you know, for example, the other other areas where this has been done through uh, RIP medical debt? Um, do, in your mind, is this like, are we talking weeks, months, years uh, that we're looking at? So the next steps would be that the both the city and the county would need to enter a contract into a contract with RAP medical debt. I don't know how long that will take. Yeah. What I would expect is, you know, sometime hopefully earlier next year we'll start like we'll start seeing letters, but I can't say for certain. Hopefully the the contract process will happen quickly. And then uh, once that happens, uh, hopefully the negotiations with the hospitals also happen quickly. And then letters, people will start seeing letters going out. Um, But yeah, no, it's kind of remarkable that um, this is a program. This is the simplest program that I can think of, right? So we we make poor people jump through a lot of hoops. (laughs) Um, Applications for rental assistance, for SNAP benefits for um, Medicaid are, you know, pages long. And we have this, this program where basically one day you get a letter in the mail saying your debt's been canceled and that's all you had to do. Yeah. Was just get a letter in the mail saying your debt's been canceled. Um, you didn't have to apply. You didn't even have to know about it. Right. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's, it's really a, a simple program that's really going to benefit tens of thousands of people in this community. Yeah. We've talked about the snap enrollment barriers and just how many of those kinds of things there are all around Ohio, uh, Medicaid, you know, we, we have a lot of dedicated people doing a lot of great things within Medicaid, but man, it is very hard to enroll in some of these programs. Um, and we're trying to make enrollment simpler. We need to, for these programs to really be effective. Um, you just said tens of thousands. I, I wonder, do you have a kind of, ballpark number in your head of how many people this may actually touch? So the estimated amount is about 41,000 people. So, you know, relative to population, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty big. It's a pretty big chunk. And we, you know, we didn't talk about the criteria. Um, It's uh, up to 400% of the poverty level or the medical debt that you have is greater than 5% of your income. So it's really a broad-based program as well. Um, so it really spans across low, low income, middle class, working class folks. Um, so it really does help a lot of people in the community. I always encourage my medical students at Ohio University to look at the federal poverty level numbers each year just to kind of refresh their memory. Uh, you know, and we'll link to that for, for listeners to check out. You know, for a household of two people, though, the federal poverty level right now is $17,420. So yeah. times four. Right, that's just under seventy thousand dollars that we're talking for a family, a two-person family. 
not a lot of money to live in these times. And um, you can imagine what any kind of uh, erasure of debt would do just in terms of opportunity for folks. And they would hopefully be able to you know, pay, pay off other debt, which is probably the, the story that a lot of people would tell you, I'm guessing, if you ask them what, the, what, what this is going to allow them to do. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, again in a time where we have rising rents, <laughs> rising housing payments, um, inflation, our, our dollar isn't stretching as much as we would like. So again, I think this is coming really at a good time where here in Toledo, our, our wages are stagnant. They haven't gone up in, in, in many years and grocery bills are higher, gas prices are higher. And then just one day you get a letter in the mail saying your medical debt's been canceled. You know, I, I can only imagine that kind of sense of relief that people will have once they get a letter in the mail saying that, you know, here's another thing you don't have to worry about right now. Go worry right. about like, you know, putting food on the table. Go worry about paying your rent. Um, don't worry about your medical bills. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's got to be a great feeling. And hopefully we'll be looking for those stories. Now you're a representative-elect to the Ohio General Assembly, or you're going to Columbus to represent the 43rd House District, which, from my quick check, is kind of a new district. Is, is this a, a sort of new creature of redistricting? It is, yes. You're going to be serving as part of the Minority Caucus that doesn't have a lot of agenda-setting power, right? We know this uh, mm -hmm. if you follow how the General Assembly works. So I'm curious, I mean, as somebody who has focused on health uh, and, and, and championed public health and kind of improved health outcomes in Ohio. What do you hope to accomplish there? I mean, what are some of your priorities going to be keeping in mind the kind of context of how things operate? I would love to bring medical debt uh, down to Columbus. I do think that it's, it's an issue that everyone can get around because everybody knows someone who's, ha who's had medical debt in the past or ha has medical debt currently. They estimate about 41% of adults in the United States have medical debt right now. And um, again, it's it's a one to 100 return on investment. It's just, you know, a, a great it's a great bang for your buck, if you will. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I, you know, I really think that people on both sides of the aisle can get behind something like this. Expanding mental health care is another thing I'd like to work on. Of course, re reducing the price of prescription drugs. Insulin is just astronomical right now. And, if, right. How, you know, I would love to, you know, work together to to lower the price of insulin and other prescription drugs. So, so yeah, I think these are these are the types of things that we can we can rally behind together. And um, that's what I hope to accomplish in Columbus. Yeah, I read in the Hill that you've been contacted by a few folks around the country who are interested in, you know, hey, how can we do this in in our place? Um, you say that this is something that has, you know, you know, broad appeal. I mean, do you really think that there's bipartisan support for this kind of work? Uh, I don't actually know much about the Toledo City Council, but I know that not all of your colleagues were were with you, or you know, there was some criticism of this, right? That you had to sort of navigate. You know, have you heard from any of your, you know, soon to be colleagues in Columbus uh, about this? Do you feel like there 
is interest in pushing this forward? And, you know, obviously you don't have to tell me who, but, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious if you get the sense that what you accomplished in Toledo is scalable, mm-hmm. not only in fact, but like politically. So I've, you know, I've talked to a few folks, a few Democrats about it. I have yet to talk to to members of the Republican caucus. No, I really, I really do think that um, this does have broad appeal. Again, it's a it's a one to one hundred return on investment. It's really designed to be a simple process. You know, the plan that we have uses American Rescue Plan dollars, but um, you know, again, it's it's to help you know aid in the economic recovery of of Americans, and we have so much left at the, at the state level. And um, again, I I really can't think of a program where you're going to have so much return on investment. It's going to help a broad spectrum of people, and um, it's really going to, I think, make a big impact on um, not just people's health and welfare, but also the economy. Well, I will say, you know, it's always interesting to me. I mean, Ohio has so many health challenges, right? And yeah. it's we, we say it all the time. Listeners are sick of me saying this, but I still think it's important. We have some of these amazing, you know, celebrated healthcare institutions in the Toledo area, but also around the state. And yet we lag in just, the, you know, key health indicators. And it's this extraordinary paradox, you know, but when you look at the state legislature, you're going to be joining folks like, you know, friends of the show, people we've had on, Representative Allison Russo. Sorry, we, we've had a lot of people who really make championing healthcare uh, a focus. Um, and across the aisle too, we had Representative Gail Manning on this show a while back. Um, so, you know, some of the issues you talk about should have bipartisan support, and I hope that they will, but, you know, having one more voice, one more person with a master's of public health and who cares a lot about this stuff uh, in Columbus is going to be really important. So, uh, you know, we're looking forward to seeing what you accomplished there and we'd love to have you back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm really excited to bring medical debt to the state house and start working on important health care issues that we have in the state. This episode was produced by me, Dan Skinner. I received editorial and production support from Angela Lynn. Special thanks to Patty Carlisle at Community Solutions for helping to write the Things You Need to Know segment. Don't forget to check out our show notes, which has links to all of the studies and reports we mentioned in the episode. To do that, and also to check out an archive of past episodes, including episodes that are nice counterparts to today's conversation, please visit our website at prognosisohio.com. Prognosis Ohio is a member of the WCBE Podcast Experience and the Health Podcast Network. As always, please be in touch with us if you have ideas for guests, topics, or ways we can improve the show. In the meantime, we wish you well, and thanks for listening.